Welcome to the Parkinson's Disease Caring Podcast, where we discuss caregiving topics to build knowledge and experience to be more confident and more effective care partners and caregivers. I am your host, Dr. Kevin Kloss. I am a movement disorder and Parkinson's disease specialist in private practice. I'm also a care partner for my mom battling Parkinson's disease. Welcome to season two. Thank you for your support of this podcast. Welcome back to the Parkinson's Disease Caring Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kevin Kloss. As you know, this month we are focusing on swallowing impairment. And in our first show, we talked about the mechanism of swallowing. We talked about common impairments of swallowing that occur during the course of Parkinson's disease. Today, we are going to focus on treatment. On today's podcast, I'm going to share with you interviews with Juliana Harl, as well as Tiffany Turner. Both are speech and language pathologists here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They both specialize in swallowing disorders and swallowing therapy, So I'd like to share their thoughts on treatment options for patients. And also, I'd like to share the consensus statement with you that was recently published on the treatment of swallowing impairment for Parkinson's patients and give you a final set of conclusions regarding the swallowing impairment that we've been talking about this month. So hopefully by the end of today's show, we will be very confident in knowing what we need to do to help our loved ones with swallowing issues, how to monitor for them, how to pursue the diagnostic treatments with our healthcare providers, and to be aware of treatment options that might benefit your loved one. So again, I thank you for joining our show today. I hope you enjoy the interviews coming up next. And so it sounds like, too, with modifying the diet and maybe thickening the liquids, it sounds like, again, it's hard to have a generalized recommendation until you see exactly what type of liquid or foods are giving that patient trouble. Um, or, Or do you find that there is a certain type of food or texture that they should just go ahead and try to eliminate from the diet? You don't ever want to do that because I think the goal here is the the most open, the least restrictive diet, um, but at the same token, the safest diet. So, you know, I don't ever want to encourage a patient to eliminate or thicken if we don't have objective quantifiable data from that instrumentation to support that. Um, So, you know, there are some compensatory things. And what we do and what I've always done when I do my modified barium swallows is we're going to try you on that thin liquid. We know that Parkinson's patients that have sensory issues have a lot more difficulty with those thin liquids. However, does a chin tuck work? Does an effortful swallow work to help keep us using our thin liquids safely and tolerating those thin liquids safely? You know, going through the gamut of the variety of compensatory strategies from chin tuck to Mendelssohn's to effortful swallows, um, all of those things are utilized before we 
advance to step B and say, we really need to thicken those liquids. So we will exhaust our resources to keep our patients on that least restrictive environment, least restrictive diet before we have to go to the thickening route. Okay, very good. And, and then for, for the patient that may have a PEG tube that was placed, uh, not because they were not safe to eat or drink at all, but maybe the tube was placed to help with nutritional needs and to increase caloric intake. And so the patient's still taking in some food or liquid by mouth. Um, what do you, re- any recommendations there as far as um, helping them with their swallow function or uh, is it best at that point to try to avoid oral intake? And then of course they have the trouble with saliva too sometimes. Right. So how, how do you manage that? Never. That's a great question, first of all. And I get that question a lot. And um, not just with my Parkinson's, but our head and neck folks too, and our, our oncology folks. We never want to throw the towel in on oral nutrition if we don't have to. If it is safe to continue swallowing, even if it's saliva, we want to do that. So my advice is get a good speech pathologist, okay, um, that is experienced in this area. Work, work, work. Keep doing your swallow exercises that were prescribed. Oral care is huge. So making sure your mouth is hydrated, especially if you have dry mouth, which is, seems to be 50% of our Parkinson's folks. Um, and the other 50 are, are too much saliva production and drooling. So keep your exercises going. If it's safe for you to tolerate pleasure feedings, do so under the guidance of a certified skilled speech language pathologist. Okay. Anything we can do to continue swallowing and to keep that swallowing mechanism going and working is in your best interest because just because we're on a peg tube today doesn't necessitate that something isn't going to change in the future. And pleasure feeding and food and eating and nutrition is such a social part of our lives too. Even if your primary means of nutrition is a peg, if it is safe to tolerate anything per oral it's a good idea to, to keep on keeping on with that oh, under the guidance of a speech pathologist, of course. Right. That is wonderful. And, you know, I think not only are patients and loved ones unaware sometimes of the swallowing problems that are developing, but it, I also find that they don't understand that there is such a thing as a swallow therapy or swallow exercises, and, and they often don't put that connection together with a speech and language pathologist being the right person to go to. So I'm so happy that you're um, on the podcast sharing this information, and I'm hoping more of our patients and families will learn that this is the right direction to go and, and to have this monitored and to get help from a specialist like you for this type of problem. Well, thank you. Um, we, I, I get this question all the time when I get referrals, and it's for dysphagia, and I call a patient to set up an appointment, and I say, I'm a speech-language pathologist, and I need to set your appointment up, and they say, well, we don't need a speech therapist, and I, I go into this. Speech therapy isn't just for speech. It isn't just for voice. Isn't, it isn't just for kids. Everything from the neck up plus the lungs those are our areas. So I think that's just an important piece of the puzzle there is there is someone to help. Do your research. Um, ask your questions to your speech pathologist. Make sure they know that 
um, they're working with somebody who has experience with Parkinson's disease. That, that's huge because Parkinson's disease is not the same as, as um, dysphagia post head and neck cancer or post stroke or post TBI. It is different. Um, we have a whole different subset. So just make sure you do your research, find someone that um, you can trust and do your exercises. That's big. Wonderful. Juliana, thank you so much. Such wonderful information and advice today. And I really want to thank you for your time and, and being with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And I think many patients and caregivers have never heard of swallow therapy. Uh, can you tell us about the swallow therapy and how it's used? Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, so as you mentioned, you know, there are kind of different levels and parts to therapy. So in the initial stages of Parkinson's, so we would hope that we would get to see these patients before they're having severe swallowing trouble and kind of similar to our other physical muscles we can do exercises to keep those muscles stronger for longer and so we want to keep everything moving well and there are different exercises for swallowing that the patient can do to help keep everything stronger and if they are having some swallowing problems but they're more mild again on that swallow study we can identify which muscles aren't moving like they should and there are different individualized exercises for that um, there are also other options like e-stem that can be appropriate for some patients depending on severity and um, you know cognition sometimes it's hard for some patients to do exercises Whereas some of our patients, you know, do very well with home exercises. So we may only see them a time or two and we do assessments and we give them a list of some swallowing and typically swallowing and voice exercises that they can do at home on their own and just follow up with us periodically. But then there are some patients who um, have a hard time doing those on their own and or maybe their swallowing is more severe. And so they may come in for more regular treatment and do something like e-stem, for example, which is where we're placing electrodes over certain structures there, depending in that person what we're wanting to target. And that e-stem acts as a sort of resistance. So if we were to put an electrode on our thumb, for example, um, it has two points. So there would be one on our thumb and the palm of our hand. And then if we turn the e-stem device on, it would move our thumb in toward our palm. It would contract that muscle. And so on our throat, it does the same thing. It's pulling on those muscles, providing resistance. So while the electrodes are on and the e-stem is on, we have the patient swallowing. So they're swallowing against that resistance, which can build strength in those muscles over time. So that's kind of a more passive approach of exercise for some people who have difficulty doing traditional exercises, because with that, they're able to just eat and swallow with that on, with us kind of guiding them through that. And there are a lot of other um, things as well, such as biofeedback. So we're able to also use electrodes just for the purpose of biofeedback without emitting any e-stem so that we can... Um, me, so that we can see how they're performing the exercises. So we're able to put electrodes on and have a graph on our computer screen and have them do different exercises and we can make sure that they're performing them correctly to kind of train them and how to do them at home and just a lot of different options depending on um, on what they need. But there are exercises that can help all those muscles along with the postural 
you know, things that you mentioned. And sometimes we need a combination of both. You know, sometimes they may need strategies that they're using at home to help keep them safe during meals. But then we're also working on exercises each day to try and strengthen those muscles as well. So it's often a combination there. Very good. So the e-stem sounds like weightlifting for the swallow muscles. Uh-huh. <laughs> it sense. is. Yeah, that's what we tell patients. You know, do you do better exercising at home or coming into the gym? <laughs> right. Right. And it's not painful, is it? The no, it's not painful. It's just kind of a tingly feeling. You know, you feel it there, but it isn't painful. Okay. Okay. Very good. And, you know, there was a study years ago that looked at um, speech therapy for Parkinson's patients um, versus a group of patients that were not receiving speech therapy. And they looked at ultimately the, the incidence of um, aspiration pneumonia or swallowing um, complications from Parkinson's disease. And they found that the group that was receiving you know, speech therapy over time had a dramatically lower incidence of swallowing problems. So are you finding, too, that that doing speech therapy is strengthening and helping the swallowing muscles as well? Mm-hmm, definitely. And there are, and that's where, again, I talk a lot about the overlap between voice and swallowing, but it's it's just those exact same muscles in both. And typically our patients, you know, whose voice stays stronger for longer, also they maintain their swallowing you know, better and for longer as well. And a lot of the specific voice programs like LSVT, Loud, and those have known benefits for swallowing as well. So any type of strengthening for the vocal cords and swallowing muscles really does help maintain things for longer. And it's not like the person is just coming into therapy forever, but like I mentioned, it's more of, you know, sometimes we might do more intensive in the clinic therapy Um, where they're coming in more regularly just at first for a few weeks. And then we try and set our patients up with a home program of things that they can just keep doing indefinitely to maintain that strength on their own. And I think there's just really value to the patients and the caregivers kind of understanding that and knowing things that they can do at home um, on a daily basis to help keep everything stronger for longer. Great. And Tiffany, you've been so generous with your time today, and I, I just so appreciate all of the information you're giving us. So in, in kind of a closing question, would you give us any other advice um, for care partners or uh, caregivers of a lum- loved one with Parkinson's disease that we can take? Yeah, being a caregiver is such a challenging role, and I just really admire all of you guys and what you do. We really get to know our patients and their spouses and kids and other caregivers so well. And I just have so much respect for what all you guys do. But I think really it's just so important to make sure, you know, that you're taking care of yourselves and also getting plugged into all of these resources like this podcast and support groups and being able just to connect with other people through the different Parkinson's organizations. And I think just having that knowledge of, things that you can look for and that you can do, you know, the different medical professionals are experts in their specific niche, but you guys are the expert in that individual that you're caring for. And so anytime you notice that anything isn't quite right or that you see any changes, you know, getting them in earlier, because we know that with swallowing and a lot of these other things, getting treatment earlier yields a lot better results than waiting until the problem is severe. So I think just having these types of resources and staying aware of of all these different informational 
things so that you know what to look for and can report those and just be their best advocate is really important. But you guys all have an important job and it's, it's very hard, I know. And so I think having the support aspect is helpful for caregivers as well. That's wonderful advice. Uh, thank you, Tiffany. And I, I know- Well, I hope you found these interviews helpful. And we really appreciate the time that both Juliana and Tiffany took to be with us and to discuss these treatments with you. I now would like to turn to the consensus statement that was published in the Journal of Neurological Sciences last year. So in the consensus statement that was published last year in the Journal of Neurological Sciences, the consensus statement provided mostly treatment recommendations. The first recommendation of the multi-specialty panel was that treatment should start immediately at any stage of the disease of Parkinson's when either clinical or instrumental testing demonstrated an impairment of swallowing and a reduced quality of life. The second point was that the instrumental test, such as the video fluoroscopy or the fiber optic endoscopy studies, should guide the treatment that is recommended by the medical team including the speech-language pathology interpreter of these tests. The third point was that as far as specific treatments, number one was to optimize the Parkinson's medications. We know that sometimes patients swallow better when their medications are working versus when they have worn off, and so effort should be made to Eliminate off times as much as possible by the healthcare providers, but also timing of the meals and snacks could be watched by the patient and caregiver to optimize swallowing function at those appropriate times. Dietary modification may be necessary, and this will be guided by the speech and language pathologist. Thickening of the fluids may be necessary to prevent aspiration. And nutritional management should be used. This can be done by the primary care physician. This could be done by a nutritionist. Again, all of this needs to be considered by the uh, primary medical team. The speech and language pathologist should guide the patient and family on proper postures and swallowing maneuvers that can be helpful to improve swallowing function, and prevent aspiration pneumonia. Furthermore, they concluded that swallowing exercises are beneficial for patients, and in some patients, neuromodulation, where the electrodes are placed in positions to strengthen swallowing muscles, may be appropriate. And finally, in some patients, botulinum toxin injections to appropriate muscles only performed by a trained ear, nose, and throat specialist using EMG guidance could be considered in some cases. They went on to say that the Lee-Silverman voice therapy has not shown benefit to improve swallowing impairment and Parkinson's disease swallowing problems. However, it certainly is beneficial for the speech problem of Parkinson's disease. 
Now, we know that other speech therapies for Parkinson's disease may be helpful and oftentimes are recommended by the speech and language pathologist. However, further studies are needed to understand the role of these therapies in swallowing impairment. And finally, there are some studies looking at a device called the EMST-150. This is a breath training device that looks similar to an inhaler. It's a calibrated valve, and the patient breathes through this valve, changing the pressure that prevents um, easy flow of the expiratory flow. This device helps to strengthen the breathing muscles as well as the swallowing muscles, and several studies have shown benefits in improving swallowing impairment. The consensus statement also discussed peg tube or feeding tube placement in certain patients that have complete loss of swallowing capability. They recommended that the peg feeding tube insertion be conducted on a case-by-case basis in discussion with all of the healthcare providers, patient, and family involved. They did not recommend PEG-2 placement if a patient has severe dementia or if they're at the terminal stages of life due to Parkinson's disease. They recommended that a nutrition specialist be involved in cases where patients are losing weight and having difficult time maintaining adequate caloric intake as well as becoming dehydrated. The nutritionist can look at nutritional supplements, modification of the diet, including the liquid modification. They can also help to monitor adequate intake of vitamins such as vitamin D, vitamin B12, and folic acid. They will also look at adequate fiber intake, which can be tough to accomplish in these modified diets and should be addressed because we certainly know constipation is an ongoing problem for patients with Parkinson's disease. And we need to make sure that patients are getting in adequate protein and calories in the diet to prevent more muscle loss and overall weight loss from the condition. So in conclusion, we know that swallowing impairment becomes a very common problem in Parkinson's disease. As care partners and caregivers, we need to be aware of this. We need to be vigilant for this particular problem throughout all the stages of the illness. We need to know that patients are unlikely to be aware of a swallowing impairment until it's much more severe and noticeable by certain symptoms such as coughing or choking during meals. We need to have a low threshold for patients receiving a workup by a speech and language pathologist. The bedside testing is very important in assessing exactly what type of therapies would be helpful for our loved one. And then an instrument test such as the video fluoroscopy or fiber optic endoscopy are also very beneficial and should be done at routine intervals. 
It's important to discuss this with the healthcare provider, especially the movement disorder specialist or neurologist managing the Parkinson's disease to find out at what intervals these tests need to be performed. It's important to then proceed with the treatment that is recommended by the speech and language pathologist or the radiologist involved in these tests. Often a referral to a specialist such as a GI specialist or an ear, nose, and throat specialist or even a nutrition specialist may be very helpful and we should be very open to these referrals as well. Finally, making sure that we are optimizing the Parkinson's treatments to keep the patient in optimal muscle strength and capability during meals and snacks will go a long way to keeping our loved ones safe. And finally, I would highly recommend consideration of obtaining a device similar to the EMST 150, as well as perhaps considering a speech therapy program. It's very difficult, I think, for patients to be motivated to continue the speech therapy at home after they have completed the one-to-one course. But if the care partner or caregiver can motivate their loved one to keep up with these exercises and to use a breath device, this will go a long way to not only improving the swallow musculature, but also the respiratory muscles. We want to keep the respiratory muscles strong, not just for breathing, but also so that the patient can maintain a strong cough and they can have better breath support with their voice and communication. So these devices are very helpful. They require minimal time to perform the exercises, and the exercises can be two to three days a week and no more than 15 minutes of time. So this is something that patients struggle with maintaining. They struggle with motivation. And us care partners and caregivers can be the motivating factor to help them through this process. Well, I thank you for joining us on this podcast and for tuning in on the swallow topic of this month. Please join us again next month for another topic that we will be diving deep into to discuss all aspects of that particular topic. I hope these topics will help you and ultimately help your loved one dealing with this condition. We thank you again for supporting the podcast. Thank you for joining the Parkinson's Disease Caring Podcast. Please visit pdcaring.com for more information. And remember, you are a better Parkinson's disease caregiver than you think.